Welcome everyone to episode 34 of the Real Sports Science Podcast. Today we have a really good friend of mine from back in uni days. It's Jake Smythe. He's an MMA fighter. Right now, a big personal trainer. Some call him the London Elite Trainer. You can see him on Instagram. We're going to be talking about a little introduction, different pathways, where we've all started and where we've all ended, or will hope to end. We'll talk about, you know, the importance of a legacy. We'll talk about different SNC physiological demands and concepts between MMA and rugby. And yeah, many other topics to come for. Let's jump right in. Yeah, Jake. Hello. Nice to see you again. <laughs> nice Sweet. To meet you, um, <laughs> nice to meet you. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, decent, decent. So first of all, we just like to, well, I'm, I know I know your sort of whole story, obviously, best friends and all. But um, yeah, just fill David in on, on your little <laughs> introduction. Fill me in. Yeah. Uh, start your journey and how you've come yeah, to Yeah, well, man, you gave me a great introduction. Obviously, my name is Jake Smythe and, you know, uh, me and Matt know each other from back in the day when I used to go to Worcester University. Um, and yeah, obviously I'm personal training and running SNC for people that work in the city, but also athletes in boxing and rugby and also provide performance nutrition for them as well. Decent. So Worcester now here, I mean, it's a big jump. Are you enjoying, like, are you happy with the sort of where you've ended up? Yeah, man, massively, massively. Obviously like I'm always chasing that next, that next step, but I'm really proud of the journey from where I was to where I am now. And I, and sometimes just, yeah, just sitting in it and just uh, and just being happy with how far you come is good. Oh, no, 100%. And, and yeah, you mentioned journey just then. Was it an easy journey to get to where you were or was there some struggle? No, not particularly. No. Not particularly easy at all. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into it a little bit more, but I'm very grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for all the setbacks and all, and all the lessons learned because I don't think I'd be who I am today. I don't think I'd have the, the mental resilience. I don't think I'd have the, the kind of um, the attributes that I have now. Um, if I didn't go through everything that I've gone through in life and uh, just kind of sucked up and moved forward. Mm. We could end the podcast right there and it'd be a good one yeah. already. I mean, like, three minutes in, I'm I'm gone. This is it. Mate, nice. That's all we've got. <laughs> three minutes to use that. <laughs> <laughs> a little bite aside. <laughs> no, um, but, uh, you know, you hear about all these people that go through adversity and they come out so much stronger. And I mean, you know, think about how how important is adversity. And do you think that was really important for you? Would you have ended up in the same place where you are now content and everything if you didn't have had, if you wouldn't have had that adversity beforehand? No, 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 I don't, I don't think so. I think a lot of things have shaped me in my life. I think like massively shaped me in my life. Mm. Um, I think the area that I grew up in, um, certain struggles that I've had growing up throughout my life, even from a kid, um, and then troubles at uni, struggles there, um, setbacks with big injuries. I think a lot of things have shaped the way I am today, uh, but I wouldn't take anything anything back but yeah i definitely think my i definitely think my upbringing in my environment and some of the some of the setbacks i've had in life have really made me now i mean i think yeah I, obviously i don't i mean if you could give us a little bit more that would be great but like oh, yeah, sure. i could think about my stuff as well it's probably not as intense but yeah just like little things you i think the reflection is also massively important because once you get a little setback if you're just there sulking in it or like not actually thinking, okay, look, it is, it is crap to go through this. What's the next step I can take? Then you're mm. going to be willowing for like three months, six yeah. months, losing yourself instead of making yourself better. Um, so, yeah, are you able to give a bit in, maybe yeah, like sure, one man. big struggle, say like the biggest struggle that you had, um, yeah. or I mean, one that was more, most important, sorry. Yeah, no, cool, man. I think the first thing, like obviously everything's relative. Like, so your struggles, my struggles, any struggles that David's had, they're all relative to you. Like this is the one thing I could box when I was, 
going through everything. Like people say, yeah, but you don't have it as hard as this person. I'm like, yeah, I know I don't, but like it still affects me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it still affected me. And by all means, I, I believe in that. You know, you do have to push forward. You do have to get on with things. You can't just say like, oh, that's it. I'm done with life. You know, and just sit there and just be like, okay, cool. I'm just gonna be a bum for the rest of my life. You know, but understanding that what you are going through is, you know, is real and it might be affecting you, and and that's fine. You know, and and you don't have to compare your problems to everyone else's. But yeah, so like, I mean, growing up, like where I grew up was a pretty rough area. Like, and um, I've always been like funny about talking about it because I never like to live in the past and I don't like mm. to whine and moan about like stuff. But yeah, growing up where I grew up was pretty like rough area and that, that was quite anxiety provoking living around there. Um, and then just other problems in and around my personal life, which I won't go too much into when I was younger, but stuff like that really really affected me gave me quite quite bad anxiety growing up and I didn't actually know what it was to be fair back then I was like why do I always feel this way like always looking over my shoulder worrying about what's going to happen here worrying about what's going to happen there and when you live like that and you live in fight or flight like your whole childhood it, it kind of is it's very very stressful um to the point where I got to like 15 years old and um yeah I just I just wanted to like basically end it all you know and I remember sitting at a train station and I was like I just want to just you know it was the first thought I ever had of like just ending it and um and then I got older and around 17, I had like between 15 and 17, I really pushed myself with training. I think that was almost like a, a savior in a sense. Like you ask anyone that I used to go to my rugby academy with or, you know, anyone that knows me from back then, they'd be like, okay, cool. Jake trains two, three times a day, every day. But it was like an obsession that would kind of take my mind off of other things. But I love training as well, mm. you know. And then I got to like 17, went to uni, 17, obviously under 17, 18 years old, went to uni and kind of everything just went downhill from there. I think the freedom, the the injuries that I had before uni and going into uni with injuries led to me just being like, who, who cares? Like, yeah, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to party. I'm going to not take anything seriously. And the more that you do that over time, the more that I continue to do that over time, the more that compounded and the worse the results got. Um, so things just got worse and worse and my anxiety got worse and worse and my depression got worse and worse. Um, to the point where, again, like multiple times, I just didn't want to be here. I was like, obviously a bit, a bit graphic, but like self-harming and stuff like that. And and if it wasn't physical self-harming, it was, it was self-harming from other aspects. It's like not treating my body with the respect it deserves, like drinking excessively, like just to escape for the moment or for example, just, yeah, just trying to escape for the moment really. And, you know, just going out all the time. So then, like I said, that led to a deterioration of my mental health and then eventually came back home, um, decided that I kind of wanted to to change things up a little bit and, you know, stopped hanging around with people that weren't really good for me and, and equally I probably wasn't good for them at that time. Um, and uh, then I went back to rugby and I broke my leg in like three places and ruptured four ligaments and then that was like the biggest thing and I was like, yeah. mate, I've got a... <clears throat> yeah, I, I always say like now that's the best thing that ever happened to yeah. me because mm. in that week, um, I broke my leg in three places and I lost my job on the labouring side because I couldn't work, of course. Mm. Yeah. So I was broke, living on my mum's, living at my mum's, um, broken leg, no money, nothing. And I was like, for you, mate, you have some, you have some introspection there. I tell yeah. you that, like you, you do look, look at things in your life and, um, and think about changing them. And then from there, it's all uphill. Yeah, that's crazy. And so just quickly, like, it, was there anything that, like, how did you get out of that stage? Because a lot of people, or you hear about nowadays, or you hear like anecdotally, a lot of people in that scenario would go the complete other way mm. and just drive further downhill. So how did, was there anyone or anything that managed to get you going on that uphill ride? 
Oh, mate. Um, yeah, hit like two things. I think I've always, ever since I was young, I've always thought in my head I'm destined to do something great. Like I've never ever not believed that. I always thought I'm I'm put on this planet to do something like really special. I don't I didn't know kind of what it was. I always thought it was sports, like professional rugby, but then that changed and transitioned. So that was like one thing I I knew that like the reason I never did end it was like one because I couldn't I don't I don't think I could bring myself to do it. But two, like I always just thought, no, this is this is not where the ride ends for me. Like there's something special out there, and um, but then also like you know hitting hitting rock bottom as many times as I did, you know, like having my, my, you know, my family there looking after me, worrying about me and, you know, just from a, from a, like looking back on it, like from, obviously they love me and they'll take care of me. They, they would never ever say that it was a stress on them, but, mm. you know, causing that stress on your family, you have to eventually turn around and say, look, enough's enough. Like, you know, and this is not the life I want to live. And, and like you said, you can either go one way or you can go the other, but yeah, due to me wanting to be something special in my life and, and provide something special for other people in my life mm. and, and around me, I was already thinking about going that way. Yeah. And then also the stress of that I was putting on my family, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. You know, And the leg break was the final thing. And then I yeah. just said, look, it has to change. You know? mm. um, what, was, what's the first, what was the first step for you? Because I think a lot of people get to that point and they, and they say, you know, I want to change for whatever reasons, um, but they don't know where to begin because it's, it's quite daunting, especially if you've hit rock bottom. If you're thinking of this is where I want to go, you don't you have no idea how to get there. So for you, like what was that first thing that kind of like okay, this is one small thing that I can change that I can do consistently to start improving myself and moving in the direction I want to. What was what was that or, or a couple of small things that yeah, uh, kind of tangible things that you just changed? You um, mentioned a couple of like just stopping uh, surrounding yourself with people who aren't good for you. So I guess that's one. Massive, massive yeah. deal that is, like, 100%. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be, like, I just stopped hanging around with people that were just not aligning with where I wanted to go. Yeah. And I still do that now. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to go chill with this person. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that. And sometimes it gets a bit lonely because you kind of feel like you're missing out on something. Mm-hmm. But in the grand, like, for instance, you know, if everyone's going to the pub on a Friday, it's like, oh, I'm 23 years old. Like, I want to, <clears> you know, I kind of want to go to the pub and chill out and have a laugh and stuff. But. You know, all right, well, this assignment has to be done or that person's program has to be written. So you know, that's fine. I, I understand that I'm going to have to make a little bit of sacrifice. So stop hanging around people like that. Um, I think the the biggest thing for me, I actually started reading when I was 20. Okay. So the first book I ever read was when I was 20. And then I started doing things like just making my bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like I know it seems so silly to people, but like just making my bed, keeping my room tidy, like really little things that I know I could do and um, I just continued to do that. I dove into training. Obviously, like I've been training since I was young. It was a really big aspect of my life. So like I just immediately, like I had that work ethic to just go, obviously I wasn't in the shape, but I had the work ethic to say, I'm just going to push forward and set a big goal and hit it. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I, start, I started to do that. I started to train again. I, I wrote out exactly kind of where I wanted to go in life. And obviously that's changed, but the, the, the same sort of baseline has stayed the same. Um, so I got this like blueprint off this guy. I can't remember what his name was, but it was like a 40 page blueprint. It asked you like loads of questions. And I literally wrote out what I wanted to do in life and I yeah. mapped it out. So those like some of the things that I did, making my bed, reading books, go jumping on a YouTube self-development, like what, what do they call it when you go on one of those like late night 
on YouTube, yeah, well, YouTube spirals or yeah, yeah, rabbit yeah. holes of YouTube. Yeah, rabbit hole. yeah, 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 yeah. It was like yeah. a self-help rabbit hole. Like I just never. Like, <laughs> Most ever. people got like a rabbit hole of watching people fall off cliffs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you've never watched this. Okay, that's just me. <laughs> just watching people fall off cliffs. <laughs> you got a rabbit hole over you, here. Your rabbit holes are much better than mine, I suppose. Just a uh, rugby duet, you know. I think we should definitely transition the podcast. To David's like people David's falling off cliffs. Just everything. Like Pandora's box just coming out of his head. He's just like, I also watch like plane crashes and uh, <laughs> everything like hey, dude, that. Check this out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like I, I, coming from that is just like the community aspect, the environment. I think that's massive. And then like, I forgot who said it, but there's this American like coach, NFL coach, and he was just saying, don't surround yourself. Like pigeons don't, eagles don't fly with pigeons. Oh, the, that's been on Instagram, See, on my Instagram every single eagles day. Eagles fly with eagles. They don't <laughs> fly around with pigeons. So you've yeah. got to determine what you are. Are you an eagle or a pigeon? Like, you know, I'm an albatross, so I'm higher, bro. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Um, this man, is the guy bird over here. Yeah, yeah, flappy yeah. bird over here, just a little thing going through the pipes. It's all good, it's all good. Um, nah, but uh, just so important environment who you sit, or, you know, making your bed. If you see that you've, if you've come into a workplace and your bed's made, the things around it, it's all clean. And you <laughs> your feel, workplace. Yeah, well, you, well, you know what I mean? Work from home, right, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> he does though. It's not. It's not far off. Oh, oh, there's beds in the background. Oh, <laughs> I make it big time, right? <laughs> when you, I want to see you wake up like jump out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Sometimes in the morning, I do text him at nine. I'm like, I'm on. Half expecting him to be like, Yeah, I just woke up. Hey, hat on, <laughs> ready. Hello, guys. Um, but no, and then a big thing like just a little transition. Um, the issues with success now and how important sacrifice is. I mean, you know, is the culture today too soft? You know, are, are many of these people coming out dealing with adversity as much as like people in the past? But I guess, like, as you said, it's relative. It's all relative. But I wonder if the culture today um, is too soft. Like, is it going to breed as much success as before? I think it's a broad brush to paint it with. Yeah. It's like, what, what does success mean to this person and that person? It's like, what do they actually want? I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves to be something that they're not mm. like as in like you must say you're coming out of the back end, say you're just like well not even coming out of the back end of any struggle say you're just like a like a 22 year old person and you feel like you have to be this uber success to be happy in life like maybe that's not what you want maybe sacrificing 70 80 90 hours a week for studies and work and stuff is not what you want and that's why is that not okay Maybe you don't want to be a professional athlete. You just admire professional athletes and you like that and you want to train hard and you want to work hard. You know, I think understanding your values as a person first and foremost is really important because then you can start to, you can start to identify what success looks like to you and then you can start to move in that direction. But I, when you say soft, I think it all depends on the person and what they actually want to achieve. Yeah. Um, I think we live in a world as well. We're just inundated what success looks like as well. Success. Yeah, yeah exactly. For other people. And it's just so easy. Like you said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you oh, said it. Guy, have you seen him? If you don't if have a 20. Le- if you're 20 years old and you don't have a Lamborghini. Oh, I'd have seen this. You need to have a conversation. <laughs> was, you need to have a like, conversation. Hey, what am I going to do? Got no Lambo. Yeah, I was laughing when I saw that. <laughs> Wait, just uh, put put my mom's house up for sale just to buy a Lambo. Just, yeah. like all those other 20 just to message him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got <laughs> I it. it. I did it, mate. <laughs> Under the bridge. Um, but like one thing you said as well was, uh, you know, in that future, you always were meant for something. And then does that link in with legacy? And like one thing I've never understood, you can take some parts of like legacy, you know, you want to leave a mark on this earth, but then is it 
at what point does it become a detriment to have an obsession or this importance around legacy? I think Peter Attia spoke about it on Joe Rogan's podcast that like people take time away from their kids or, or environments or actually living life just to have a legacy for when they're gone. And when they're gone, they don't even get to relish in it or enjoy it. So I was just wondering, what are your views on legacy? The uh... <laughs> Timely. Tim Grover, you remember Michael Jordan's trainer? Yeah, yeah. He spoke about it in his book, Relentless. And he said about a time where his daughter came in and asked him, hey, dad, like, you're going again. Like, obviously, he's traveling. And um, he said, yeah, you know, this is what dad has to do to put food on the table. Mm. She turned around to him, like, I don't know, five, six years old, whatever. And she was and said, look, if I eat less, will you be able to stay? And that's, like, one of those moments where you say, like, oh, it's coming away from the kids. But I've, I've come to the realization I don't think I'll be happy if I'm not doing no I don't even think I'll be happy I actually don't I, I know I won't be happy so like if I'm not pushing myself from a physical standpoint if I'm not pushing myself from a mental standpoint if I'm not developing personally and professionally how good of a dad and partner and friend mm. am I going to be so like I said it comes back to my values like I, I value hard work I value being successful and what it is that I want to do I value achieving mastery over over the things that I'm pursuing in life Um. so if I don't do those I know where it's going to lead to. It's going to, you know, I wouldn't be a great dad. You know, I wouldn't be a great partner. So I think coming back to like your question about legacy, there are things that I want to do. It's not so much legacy. I think it's almost like a, I don't want to say an unhealthy obsession. I actually want to say just an obsession. I don't think it's unhealthy for me because I enjoy what I do. Um, from a legacy standpoint, there are things that I want to do, not really like personally, legacy standpoint because like you said one day we will be gone I do want to achieve like big success obviously with what I do but um, I do want to eventually open up a performance institute for for kids you know where they can come down and they can like everything's paid like you know what they have in America Mm. you know oh kit day like Mm. two grand's worth of kit like and kids that have never even seen that like I want them to see what the highest highs look like when they're young like I think that would be just an unbelievable motivation for them Mm -hmm. the best trainers in the world have education on finances, not just on university nice. courses. Yeah. Mm. Like, still, obviously, if you want to pursue something, yeah, say, yeah. like sports science, maybe. Um, say you want to pursue something in sports science, but you could also do okay, money management, time management, practical things, you mm. know, like, and eventually have that type of Nike esque sports performance center, that, that, you know? completely for free. For yeah, kids as well. I mean, that's massive, isn't it? Because, I mean, I guess what you're the thing about it is giving those kids options. You know, because a lot of people, I mean, growing up, I was I was lucky enough to have, like, my mum and dad were saying, like, you know, do whatever you want. Like, they pushed me to do every sport so that I could try every sport and then figure out which one I liked. Um, wasn't good at any sick. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. You want a tissue? That's sorry, mum. Sorry, dad. Yeah. <laughs> Still a disappointment for one day. Um, no, nah, uh, but, like, even with courses they weren't like my dad's a banker and you know he didn't push that any on me but he did try and say look have you ever thought about money like how does money work and we would just sort of have these conversations from there but you know you hear about some people who've never even had those conversations or don't even know what that is but yet when they go on like a youtube rabbit hole actually this is my calling i find this so interesting and maybe if they're taught as you know if you manage to come up with that that'll be amazing because giving all these kids options to see what it looks like at the top to get an environment and surround themselves as great as that i mean that's that's all you could ever ask for but that's such a valuable lesson your dad like taught you having those mm. conversations. Like I've never had those conversations with anyone. Like yeah. you know, that's stuff you have to learn along the journey. Mm. So like and, and I'm sure that's like ninety percent of the population, really, of people that are growing up. Like how many people have financial talks with their parents with yeah. a parent that actually mm. 
understands it from the depth that your dad understands it. So like those things are, I think are super valuable because it's like, if you come to the, say if you came to that performance center and not only was it free, but you learned about finance management, not only can you educate yourself and become financially literate and wealthy eventually, but then you've got like, say seven family members that you can say, no, that's a bad idea. Look, this is what I learned. This is what I've learned. Like, don't do that. Put your money here, do this, do X, Y, Z. Like, and then you're, you're able to impact your community a lot better. And, and I don't know what, the maths is, but you know how they say like one person will impact X amount of people. Yeah. Oh yeah, like how it and feeds then, out. Yeah, two, feeds four, out. And, and then, yeah. you know, that that obviously is is something massive as well. So, and then maybe just like a bit more wealth in, in lower income areas, you know, and stuff like that eventually. Right, I'm trying to focus on this. Guy just, this <laughs> this man handling the mic next to us. I'm picky with my mic. So guys, um, <laughs> oh, hello. See that right hook? Mate, MMA. Speaking about MMA. Um, Wait, we still got to try that sport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing fireworks for the next 10 minutes <laughs> each round just chucking me go Matt you're doing brilliantly my nose just getting bigger no, and bigger right, pal, you're right keep going <laughs> mate taking a knee every like 10 seconds just to read it um, lots of knowledge um, but like speaking about sport actually um, as like a PT S&C coach um, and I think we can all respect the different physiological demands that rugby and MMA have and you've played both so I was wondering like what, what are the different physiological physiological demands that you've experienced when programming for yourself or for others? I think the physiological demands are, uh, aren't too dissimilar in the sense of, you know, okay, cool. You're going to need to de- develop maximal strength, power, speed, agility. All of those relate to, to those qualities relate to both sports. I think the biggest difference that you're going to see in MMA, the one that I noticed the most is going to be energy system development. It's like, mate, how many times have you played a game in, you know, you can get away with standing around for a bit and, and you know, then doing a sprint and then kind of standing around for a bit and mm. then doing a sprint. It's like in MMA, you need to have such a well-developed aerobic and anaerobic system. It's just unbelievable. Like one, repeated flurries in terms of like, if you're doing big combos, like you're going to need to develop your anaerobic systems in order to, to recover or in order to produce that power, but then to produce it over time as well. And then from an aerobic standpoint, you're basically like, I mean, that whole fight, you're going to be like at threshold mm. or above. But unless you're like a super developed fighter from a from a from a conditioning standpoint, or Mark, if you're yeah, or if you're super calm, like low nerves and your heart rate's already low anyway, yeah. mm. then maybe you, you might be able to get away with it. But for most people, you're gonna need to be really well conditioned from an aerobic and anaerobic standpoint. And um yeah, yeah, the stark difference is obviously gonna be the time duration as well. You know, you've got three yeah. minutes in the amateurs. And, you know, it's pretty much three minutes all out. And if someone puts a pace on you, there is no escape. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't, you, you have to have that level of conditioning. Whereas with rugby, like I said, like how well developed does a, does a winger need to be aerobically if they're going to be, you know, kind of standing on the wing. But then you compare that to a scrum off. Yeah. Predominantly, you know, running at like a steady pace from, from ruck to ruck to ruck. You know, so it's very, one, it's very position specific and also style specific. So you get fighters that are high output fighters and you get fighters that are big power punches but don't throw a lot in the fight. So, yeah, I think transitioning over, I think I transitioned over quite well because I had those attributes from rugby mm. because, you know, wrestling very closely relates to rocking, scrubbing, yeah. tackling. Um, the biggest difference was, uh, was the upper body conditioning for sure. Just that... I bet, like, just oh, throwing right. punches and also keeping it there. You need just... to continuously be yeah. able to yeah. throw punches and hold your hands mm. up. I did, for ice hockey, I trained boxing in the summer because there's fighting in, in hockey. And that was the one thing I'll never forget is how sore my shoulders were. 
Sorry, this mic is just not my friend. How sore my shoulders were from just literally trying to hold up my hands. When you're just holding your, like, you got to think, I don't know. Like, say you do sparring, say you do like eight rounds. Yeah. You're holding your hands here. Yeah. And, or let's hope you're holding your hands here. And then you're throwing shots. Like, you don't yeah. understand how tiring that is from an upper body perspective. Yeah. Like, so when it comes to your training, you need to be like, Okay, cool. I've got I've got to do more upper body conditioning. That's why I prefer to program in like a salt bike for athletes for off feet conditioning mm. when it comes to for, for fighters for off feet conditioning. Um and work on developing their vascular network in the upper body. Because if you can't recover in between those bouts of exercise, you're gonna be just absolutely knackered and fatigued. And trust me, I've been there in sparring with a guy that was like 20 kilos lighter than me, and I was super just floating around. Me. He was just lighting me up for the whole <laughs> round. It was like third round in. Uh, Everyone, it was like first time I come down to my gym. It was like third round in. Everyone else was, slowly but surely, I remember this. I was like, oh, everyone's sparring really light. I was like, everyone's sparring really light. And then when it would come to me, it'd be like, yeah, it's like not time to switch it on. Now I got pieced up by like four people in a row. And then the last guy they put me with was like a 70 kilo fighter. And I was just knackered. And he was just like, pap, pap. every time I put my hands up, big body shots, one, two, body to the body, back up to the top, pap, pap, pap. David, I remember you, by the way, wherever you are. <laughs> David, I remember. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then after that, you've realized, shit, man, my, my conditioning is one, terrible yeah. from like mm-hmm. all round, but two, um, yeah, you have to develop that upper body in terms of a conditioning standpoint. I, I have a question about more technique wise because there seems to be such a balance between being calm and being patient and not rushing and also staying with whatever game plan you and your coach have come up with for that fight, but also being able to turn on the aggression and being able to kind of change depending on what the boxer or what the fighter in front of you is doing or the situation that you find yourself in. So how do you, I guess, how do you train that or or how do you as a fighter kind of um, approach that to, to balance those three things? What is in, um, so how do I, how do I approach staying calm in the fight and switching on? And yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of the patient side of things. And then also the aggression and, and going after it when you see that opening. But probably the worst person to talk to about that. Have you seen his fight? I don't know. You're three, you're three and oh, so not too bad. I, uh, I, in my last fight actually was probably the, the time I felt the calmest. Like okay. with the guy, I don't know. I just watched that on the train. Yeah, I watched actually. his first fight. It was the best thing ever. Just rushed. Rush the guy immediately. Yeah, that was terrible. Oh, talk about gassing out, mate. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're like, I gotta I gotta knock him out or I'm not I'm not coming back after yeah, this. Oh dude, man. <laughs> wanted- that was gassing out right at his finest. And the worst part is you go in there and your heart rate's already like 30 beats above per, per what it is. Like yeah, so right. resting heart rate's like mid fifty. Yeah. Mate, I go in there and it was like, Oh yeah, resting heart rate's like eighty five. I'm like, eighty five? I've just had a conversation with my coach. Like, what are we talking about? Like, I've just arrived. You know? So mate, you gas out hard on that. But yeah, so managing um Managing, I would say I don't actually feel angry when I go in. Mm. I don't feel angry. And I think if you are angry or you're feeling overly aggressive, you kind of put yourself at a disadvantage because mm-hmm. you're really tense for one. Mm. Um, you're probably not breathing correctly. Mm-hmm. So then you're just going to gas out quicker. Mm. Also, just like just that being a bit more loose in the shoulders. Like when you're, when you're angry, you're aggressive, you're like kind of tensed up. Yeah. So. It was like a Aldo versus McGregor, perfect example. All that perfect pressure. Example. And then he just yeah. went in with one shot and then got clocked and in 13 back, seconds. Yeah, and you make you make bad decisions. Yeah. Know? So mm-hmm. I think um I think I don't think you can be a really 
I think what you're talking about, when you see fights, you'll see aggressive 10, 15 seconds. Like when someone's getting... Yeah, that, finished, I think that's... Guy, I get on top and like crazy yeah, finishes. Yeah, I, I don't think I mean aggression is like anger, but being able to be patient and, and relax. Explosive burst. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think um, that's what I'm, I'm more getting at. Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think it's going to be like very much dependent on one, your confidence to actually step in and, and, and maybe potentially take a shot to, to give off your shots. Yeah. Some people don't really right. like getting punched. Right. Two, I think it's going to be like specific. Okay, is that guy gassed out? Is this a time to attack? So you've got mm. to be like patient in a sense. Yeah, yeah, because you have to be able to make all these micro decisions so yeah. quickly. That was I was listening to an um, interview that you had. I think it was after not this past fight, but it was like like tw- like a year ago or something. And you said, yeah, because he, I noticed he has like a karate style. No idea what that means, but that's what you said. And so I was thinking, man, like you have to be in that fight, coming in with a game plan, knowing the fire that you're fighting, but then also realizing what you're looking at. Mm. Yeah. And I think because it changes so quickly, it's not like, well, for me, ice hockey, like teams will have certain systems that they play. But in comparison to a punch thrown, that's slow. Mm. Right. Like in comparison to punch, like that happens instantaneously. And you have to see what kind of stance or whatever he's doing and then switch. To, to to kind of match that or yeah. then to match your game plan to that. That's like unbelievably high level. Like to get to the point where you can look at someone's feet and look at their their hand movements and, and then be able to mm. like I my so like when I plan my like if I had a game plan for someone, yeah, like yeah. the last guy I thought was a Taekwondo guy. Right. Like Taekwondo, okay, cool, he's gonna kick. He's gonna kick. Okay, cool. Hands up, try to step into boxing range and punches in the pocket because mm. realistically these taekwondo guys these karate guys how good are the hands going to be mm. you know and and i've watched their videos before i'm like okay the last guy i fought yeah he punched a little bit in some of his fights the guy i fought before that he's like a, a point karate type guy i think or like a kickboxing guy a lot of that is stop and starting so it's landing the, the big kick or stepping in with one punch there wasn't many combos so i thought okay cool if i can just nullify his legs and just step into a close range with him and either wrestle or or box him, I'm going to win this fight. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think from a very basic standpoint, at the amateurs at least, when you don't have that really high-level knowledge and decision-making right. and calmness and coolness under pressure, then you just have to be like, okay, cool, what do I need to do? All right, this guy's a boxer. Maybe don't box him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah. guy's an elite-level boxer. Maybe just try wrestle him and take him down, and mm-hmm. that can be your game plan. <clears throat> right. And then you've got to stay calm and um, almost focused on actually executing that instead of thinking, because what can happen is, and I've done this before, you can, someone can punch you and you think, yeah, I'll step in with you. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll step in with you. Right. Like, the couple guys down at my gym, like, oh, yeah, you want for a head kicks? Yeah, I'll throw head kicks with a, with a black belt and karate. It's like, no, probably not. Man. I'll probably just take this guy down and yeah. have a little wrestle on the floor or something. Right. Um, so you got to, like, you got to hum- humble yourself in that mm. fact and, and stick to what you're good at and what's going to work in the fight. Mm. One thing is, uh, do, you, do you follow this guy on Instagram, Robin Black MMA, who can no. break down? Oh, you got to check him out after. Um, he breaks down like little moments, key moments in a fight and just be like, see, this is the fighter just like fainting, fainting. And then now that he's caught him with that hook, he's just come like, just, oh mate, you got to watch hey, him. You watch just... Barry Robinson as well. Have really? you seen him? Barry Robinson's like the OG of uh, breaking down boxing. Really? He breaks down all fights, like martial arts fights. Oh, this good. guy, yeah, this guy does MMA. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing just to be an outsider. Mm. I'd love to get involved, but like just being an outsider and watching, just learning from uh, that point of view is just crazy to see how much thought goes into them. And they're doing it in what, as you said, like micro decisions. We're talking like mm. less than one second. Someone's just throwing a head kick. Okay, how am I going to come back? Oh, it's just ridiculous. I, I don't get it. But um, in terms of those physiological demands I mentioned earlier for MMA, a great guy to watch on the UKSCA website. 
is uh, Duncan French, who's the head of performance at UFC. Yeah, I've seen Duncan French, yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, go on. He, he, he just breaks it all down and just, as he says, he says, one big thing is UFC's changed now. In the sense, before it was just, the fights are going longer now. Before you could just get some guy who just swing and then bam, the guy's out, like Roy Nelson or something. Mm. Nowadays, the fights, there's more, uh, I forgot the percentage or the stat, and, but nowadays the fights are going like all five rounds. Or yeah, like five, championship five rounds. rounds. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like, how do you combat that? Like, how are they programmed differently? The upper body demands. So just being able to repeatedly throw hands, just covering, it's just ridiculous nowadays. So if anyone's out there, just give that a watch because it's 50 minutes and it's just crazy. Yeah, that's class, man. That's that's the that's the big thing as well. Like one of the biggest things I do with my fighters when I test their do their testing at the beginning is sixty second heart rate recovery, mm. resting heart rate, like seeing how those improve over time. And then the goal is to try raise their aerobic threshold as well. Yeah, uh, because like five minutes that's predominantly <clears throat> going to be aerobic with obviously anaerobic bursts of activity. Yeah, yeah. And then when you look at other things like how tiring wrestling is, and from an isometric strength standpoint, like I don't. I couldn't say that I know the ins and outs of, yeah. of of training that yet. That's something that's still developing. But to try and get someone very much sport specific fit in that, it, it is definitely a, an avenue that you want to look into as an SNC coach, specifically for MMA fighters. It's rugby as well, though, because like, that gases you out. Like, oh yeah, yeah, perfect. So it transitions over it? very yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Like rucking, but imagine rucking for like, like imagine someone's on top of you. Like, because with a with a ruck, it's done. Like, yeah, attack one big done. Then... But you could be like on the bottom position for an entire round with some monster on your back just like trying to choke you out yeah. cutting off your 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 airway for a little bit maybe you rip the hand off maybe you break the, the rear naked choke free but he's still on top of you maybe he's got his legs wrapped around and triangle around your waist you can't breathe properly yeah. like so and then you've got to stand up if you get rid of that you've got to stand up and then get ready because if he's say it's all mental as well there's yeah. a mental side of it yeah. if he's like thinks he's got the upper hand and say he's a bit of aggressive like say like Max Holloway or something yeah. he will just start throwing because you know he's got a lot of a lot on the tank left and then you just got to stand there and then it's just crazy that that's one thing I think UFC or MMA sorry it's just when we talk about factors a lot of factors in rugby to try and program for mate, MMA there's so many different points of a fight that you mm. can look at so many different times say if you're in the bottom okay but now you're on top and then how do you program that like luckily you know the minute uh, you know like 60 seconds in between rounds or 30 seconds or something you know that okay that's how much recovery they're going to have a time at their time so we can program for that we can make sure that in that 30 seconds they'll be fine to get back but whereas rugby is a bit more okay they could hide at the bottom of the rock yeah um, but well, not so much in high level but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but you still do get breaks like it's yeah. like but I just think with both sports you really do need a very well developed aerobic system because mm. that recovery period needs to you need to be able to to replenish those ATP stores like as quickly as possible and bring your heart rate down as quickly as possible mm. but if you have like a really shitty aerobic system how are you going to do that mm. it's yeah. like and then mm. when you look at other, it's very stance position specific. Like if you look at a fullback and you look at a scrum half, they're always just like Moving running around, back and yeah. forth, back and forth. Imagine they've got like no gas tank, like in terms of aerobically. Like, you know, how quickly are you going to yeah. get to the ruck? How good are your decisions going to be at that ruck? How quickly are you going to tap into mm. anaerobic fuel sources and then deplete and fatigue? Um, and then when it comes to MMA, your ability to recover within those 60 seconds and get your heart rate back down is massively mm. important. Um, I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, um, completely. Fucking, I've lost a trail of thought now. <laughs> I know. He was looking at us. I was like, I was trying to think of a point, and then I was just like, <laughs> "God, it will come back to me in a minute." It's so, it's so interesting um, that you mentioned the aerobic system as well, because I think a lot of people overlook that, especially for um, 
in comparison to other endurance sports, quick sports, right? Like, like MMA in comparison to, you know, aerobic sports, they're very fast um, and short. So I think a lot of people look at that and be like, oh, it's very anaerobic. So let's build our anaerobic system and forget about the aerobic system and totally forget about things like you said, bringing heart rate down. Like, how do you do that? Oh, well, if you can do aerobic training, improve your blood stores, improve, improve, you know, hemoglobin, red cell, red cell count in your blood, you know, all that base in your aerobic system is just going to help your anaerobic system not even have to turn on as much, you know, because you're raising the threshold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting that you mentioned that because I think I've had some conversations with people who work in a predominantly, or what I would say is a predominantly anaerobic sport if you had to choose one, but, but forget about the aerobic system. And, and I think a lot of times as well, we like, we like thinking about the anaerobic system and aerobic system as like, it's one or the other. No. Right. Yeah. And you forget like, not like both of them are on, especially your aerobic system is on all of the time, right? Like you can't function without it being on. And so that, that is always working. And if that's weak, even if you're working in your anaerobic state, like you're just, you're not going to be able to recover as fast, especially like you said, then you only have what, 30, 30 seconds, yeah, 60, seconds, 60 yeah. seconds between rounds. Like There's so. the most conditioned guys in the world. Like you'll, you'll see them like for instance, I don't know, like Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz used to do triathlons in the off season. Yeah. Like, look at Nate Diaz's engine. Yeah. Nate Diaz's car, like, cardio is crazy. Like mm. uh, Kamara Usman. Yeah. Like what's swimming like, I don't know, like 80 lengths a day or something crazy or whatever. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like the guys are, are very aerobically developed in that mm-hmm. sense. And then when it comes to um when it comes to their fights, that you, you can noticeably see the difference in their conditioning compared to their competitors. Yeah. Like one hundred percent. And doing that aerobic stuff at like lower intensities as well, like I said about the vascular network and the upper body, like is really gonna help with your recovery from a standpoint of from an upper body standpoint mm-hmm. as well. And um it's gonna improve your performance and your output in your fight yeah. for sure. Because like if you know, maybe I'm not gonna throw every single shot as a bomb if I can keep throwing my hands out there keep on thinking or keep on making that fighter think about something mm. um, not that I do that at all I'm just like yeah stand in the pocket just throw massive hooks like, um, but like hey it worked though yeah, knocked yeah. him down it, it works it works but um, yeah my, my boxing coach always says you need to make them think about something but mm. you know yeah, have that condition in there. My, my hockey coach said the exact same thing He's, he'd be like I, if you go out there I want you to hit a guy I don't care if it's a hard hit but I want the other team to know every single time they touch the puck, somebody might be coming. You might not be there, but if you're on them all the time, the one time that you're not right on them, they're going to make a mistake because they're getting ready to get hit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very interesting. My yeah. coach just always asks me to try and make a tackle this game, but you know, that's <laughs> about as hard as um, trying to get to you do leg day, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, oh, he's coming for the legs. <laughs> get them two noodles out it's, of it. <laughs> Sick. Uh, <laughs> Show him the quick lat spread, Matt. <laughs> Show him the quick lat spread. <laughs> no, um, but like, yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is, another thing in MMA is muscle mass. Like, how does someone like Yoel Romero, he might be an oh, outlier, don't. but Paolo Costa, he's someone that gasses out, but that guy, I mean, man like Paolo Costa. Guy, but, uh, right. he's, he gasses out so much, but like, so do you look in terms of muscle he mass? He gasses out now. Post you Zada. Yeah, I was gonna say that now. Oh, do you think don't, don't don't beat me up. Like we're good. <laughs> Who was the crazy one that over him before you Zada? Oh, Vito Belfort. Well. 
You made me laugh so much. There was a story. I think there was like, um, what's his name? Uh, who just fought Volkanovski? Got his name now. Oh, uh, Islam Makachev. Islam Makachev was cutting for his fight, and those guys cut crazy. Oh yeah, they'll yeah, cut yeah. all their weight in like two weeks. They'll be like, yeah, I got to lose twenty kilos, and they'll be like two weeks, and, and they'll cut all their weight. That's anyway, like Alistair Overeem knows he's cutting weight, and he just goes and sits down with like a massive plate of food next to him and just starts eating. <laughs> I was like, what are you gonna say? Like, yeah. the guy's six foot six and twenty stone. Like, you're not gonna exactly be like, oh, move away from me. But, yeah. Like, Have you seen about? the towel trick that some of them use? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, like, the if, hands if on. you don't make weight, then you say like, okay, you get a chance to like remove the box, isn't it? Right, and then um, people are holding a towel, obviously to not show your bit, <laughs> yeah. right, right, to the breast of like the reporters and stuff. So what they do is they hold like, say you're holding the towel, you yeah. hold the towel really hard, yeah, and then the person who's getting their weight up will just like push against it, and so then it will alleviate like, some weight, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, really? And have, then um, have you ever seen the guy that did the weight? Um, sorry to interrupt. Have you ever seen the guy that did the weight thing and he missed weight by like eight pounds? He's like, oh, you, like, do you mind if I just weighed him? I think he was like tried to take off his boxers, like after, as eight if that pounds. would make a difference. Oh, and then, um, there was like Greg Hardy who like missed weight by like four pounds and he was like yeah I'll be back in a minute just like went and took a shit and just came back and made weight <laughs> and I was just cracking up I was like there's no way this guy's done this you know just come back in and <laughs> make weight oh, that is hilarious oh, oh that's too making good. weight is a really interesting one and you do a lot of you do or you're starting to do nutrition Oh, Have you do yeah, starting yeah. to do nutrition, but that's something that you want to do more of down the line, right? More in the sports performance side of things with uh, with with athletes. So I oh, with right, athletes more now, endurance, I wanna, right? I want to develop my uh, develop my coaching more around endurance based athletes. Right, so I work right. With a few professional high rocks athletes, boxers. Oh, okay, but yeah, I just want to expand more on that because I really enjoy the, mm. the the challenges. You know how how do you how do you approach uh, athletes cutting weight? Does that's always that's always a huge topic? Um, I mean, it's scary, isn't it? Like, have you seen those before? Like the Conor McGregor pictures yeah. of him, like one forty-five, one fifty-five, one seventy. Yeah. Mate, it's scary. And then you see like uh, Chris Cyborg. Have you yeah, seen when yeah. she's in that bathtub and she it's had just... to leave? Like she had to leave the UFC because she couldn't make the weights anymore. Yeah, like, mm. like, she's crying. Yeah. It's quite distressing to watch. It like, is. She's crying in that bath. You can see the steam coming off, and you're just yeah. sat. And I think I think there's there's obviously a huge <laughs> physical side. So just be interesting. How do you how do you and we'll go one at a time, I suppose. How do you kind of prep an athlete or approach that from a physical standpoint, knowing that they have to draw power for many kilos, um, but still perform at a high level for whatever sport they're doing? And how do you approach it? Probably more kind of longevity important psychologically, um, which is probably the harder one of the two. Psychology is so big. Mm. And, and obviously, like, you know, I'm not a registered dietitian or anything like that to go into those those things, but a lot of people that cut weight. Yeah. If you actually look at, look at the studies, mm-hmm. a lot of people have, you know, developed eating disorders over time. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's something you have to be wary of when yeah. you're, when you're developing a nutrition plan. Does yeah. this person have a healthy relationship with food? Really mm-hmm. common with, with women athletes, especially. Yeah. Are they coming in with reds already? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, so that's like one of the first things too, like, is the weight cut realistic? It's like, you get some, some people, yeah, I've got to fight in eight weeks. Um, or, you know, say I do body transformations as well. Oh yeah, I want to get shredded in twelve weeks. Like, okay, well, how, like, let's look at your body fat percentage. Let's look at you. How much weight you have to lose? Okay, we're not going to lose twenty five kilos in yeah. twelve. Weeks. So I got some some numbers for some liposuction here. If you want to. <laughs> Hit me up. And um, yeah, so like a realistic timeline yeah. for one. Yeah. You know, like okay, manage those expectations. <clears throat> is that is that a healthy weight for you to make for this fight, or is that a healthy body composition for you to get to in this period of time and amount of weight to lose? Next up is, um, like, so first of all, the relationship with food, making the correct timeline, 
understanding what's going to work for them, what foods work well for them, what do they enjoy, how much connection, you know, do they need with their partner? So for instance, if someone has a partner, realistically, are they wanting to go out once a week with mm. their partner and go and enjoy right. some sort of social connection after a hard week of training? Can right. we fit that in? Can we have a less restrictive diet? Mm -hmm. Do they want really plain foods or would they like a tub of Halo Top ice cream once a week? You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. managing their diet for that. And then um, kind of like backwards planning. Mm -hmm. If they've got to make weight for a fight, then they want to be around 8% out from their fight week come the beginning of fight week. And then from there, you can manipulate sodium, water, mm -hmm. fiber, and take carbohydrates in order for them to make weight. And then mm -hmm. the last little part you'll do by uh, an Epsom salt bath or just a hot bath uh, or jumping in the sauna. Right. Um, so yeah, you, you decide the timeline. Okay, cool. You need to, let's use a fighter as an example. You need to make weight. All right. You weigh, let's say just easy numbers. You weigh a hundred kilos. You want to fight at 84. We need to be 8% out by uh fight week. So cool. You need to be 90.5. We need to make sure that you have a high fiber diet, high carbohydrate diet, um, relatively, you know, moderate to high sodium throughout. And then when we get to fight, we, we can manipulate those variables in order to drop that weight. And then mm -hmm. maybe you have like three kilos to lose in the bath. Mm -hmm. um, that's if you want to cut water weight. If you don't want to really cut water weight and you just want to diet down, then by all means you can. But depending on how high your, mm -hmm. your body fat percentage is at the start, you have to take that into account. Because if they're already a pretty lean individual, then mm. know, seeing them down at 2 to 3% body fat come mm -hmm. fight day is not going to be ideal. <laughs> Dude, you're yeah. shredded, man. It's time to step on stage. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, well, exactly. Trying to throw arms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Have you had to have a tough conversation with an athlete? Maybe if you've started, started and it's like, no, nah, this isn't this. Or if they come to you and this is what I want to do. And you have to have that conversation of that's not realistic. How do you steer that conversation then to, to make that positive and not let that conversation just go, no, you can't do this. And this is why. I've not to have that conversation yet because I haven't had anyone come to me from a fighting perspective with a crazy number that they're trying right. to trying to get. But if I did have to have that conversation, I'd yeah. probably say, "Look, you know, what's the realistic chance of you kind of moving up a moving up this weight class? Are, are you going to fight that weight class anyway? Sure. Are they going to do it anyway, regardless of whether you help them or not? Right. Okay. Cool. You're going to do it anyway. Okay. Fine. Well, let's do this in the best and healthiest way possible, and mm. then next fight, let's work on." let's plan a reverse diet so that we can keep your weight down so that you don't have to keep on doing these drastic weight cuts so yeah. that you can develop a healthy relationship with food. Yeah. Because I've been there before where, you know, like I've had a really unhealthy relationship with food through weight cutting, which mm. is something I've never experienced before with rugby mm. and doing excessive. I mean, mate, I, like, I cut a stupid amount of water weight one time, you know, because... Was that that photo shoot? Oh, no, 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 that wasn't photo. Okay. That was like, that was when I had my second fight. Oh, okay. Just like my relationship with food is really off past my first cut because I went so hard, rebounded mm. the other way. And now I keep my weight at like a really good level. Mm. So, and got really healthy relationship with food. So I'd say to them like, okay, cool. Post this fight, we need to work on maintaining a healthy body composition for you. Something that's realistic. And also, you know, building really solid habits around steps, hydration, recovery, so that you can keep that weight at a good level, making sure that you have, you know, really tasty, healthy meals that are healthy. Uh, really tasty meals, whatever that means. Really tasty meals that are going to support your training and provide yeah. you with energy on a day-to-day -day basis that isn't too restrictive, that keeps the foods in that you like. And then if you can build that plan for them post-diet, the likelihood of them rebounding and going the other way, mm. um, as long as you you know manage their calories, is going to be much lower. So I'd say that would be the best way to go about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's great. Some long-winded answers I'm giving. To no, that's you. good. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so, like, do you just coming at the end of this sort of section? Do you have any like tips or tricks that you use 
that are like nice or like say little templates that you can use when programming say nutrition diets or, or programs as well for, for these fighters or for these athletes that are coming to you um, from a macronutrient and calorie standpoint it's yeah. very specific to the energy demands of the day um, and to, to the individual you know what their resting metabolic rate what um, you know what kind of neat they're getting in on a day to day basis uh, all those things you have to take into account first for them uh, in terms of practicality like I would say um, I usually go for about 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass for an individual but you can go a little bit higher to 2.5 if they're cutting weight if it's quite a drastic weight mm. cut reason being is because you might start to break down protein as a fuel source if you're going really hard with the diet yeah. um, from a from a carbohydrate aspect I'll say those are going to be king like if you're engaged in high intensity activity you know and this is common with runners and stuff now they, they go oh no I'm just going to follow a high fat diet I'm like oh yeah cool dude you're running at like you know, 85% VO2 max <laughs> you're not oxidizing fat bro like <laughs> you know you are sprinting essentially like, yeah um, so making sure they know that carbohydrates aren't like the enemy and, you know, what kind of carbs they want to have pre and post workout, mm. you know, high glycemic carbs that are going to be easily digestible and rapidly absorbed. That's going to be really beneficial advice for them. And then I'll just give them like probably, oh, this is for the viewers as well, probably like a little list I'd give to someone if they, if they needed a bit of advice on that. Um, but um, yeah. I'd, and then in regards to, in regards to macronutrient intake, there's like a really simple guide you can follow just to, sum it up it's like a three two one approach mm. three grams per kilogram body weight of carbohydrate on training days two grams per kilogram body weight of protein on training days i would go a little bit higher um and then one gram per kilogram of fat intake on training days and then you can just manipulate the carbohydrates for a rest day yeah that's a really good place for someone to start if they're a fighter trying to make weight i reckon amazing and then last for me do you outsource or do you program your own stuff or do you outsource it and if well yeah just simple no, yeah, no, I don't. I don't, I don't no, that's a good one. The rest of it, I was like, actually, I'll wait, I need to watch this dance. Do you outsource it? Do you outsource yeah, it? I outsource it, yeah. Why? There you uh, go, that was the second part. Nice. I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit there yeah. thinking about how many decisions do I want to make a day? How much stress do I want to put myself now, man? Just give me the plan, I'll follow it. You do know? you feel like, because one thing I, I do know is... that as much as these people do. Yeah. It's like, what you It's tough, it's tough building yourself a plan. Even like, once I do the rugby lads, their programs, I go to mine and I'm like, you can easily cheat yourself as well. Yeah. If someone sends me their program, I'm like, okay, sick, I'll do it. I trust them. I'll go. And then I just won't cheat myself. But if I if I'm doing my own program, I'm like, I won't do eight reps of like bench today. I'll just do six or something. You know, like I just want to hit that big weight today or something. You know, you get bored of the program or something like that. Yeah, I guess outsourcing is uh is better. But it's weird though. It's a weird concept to me. Like if you know all of this, why don't you program it yourself? But oh, that's then the, that's the thing that everyone yeah. says. It's like everyone's always got these bite sized like little clips that oh. Before you was a nutritionist, why don't you program your own nutrition? Yeah. I made way for my last fight, fine. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to do my own nutrition. It's long, yeah. It's extra thinking. Like, I made weight very healthily. Like, mm. did the whole 8% thing that I just mentioned. Like, did all that, made weight perfect, re refueled perfect. Mm. Just to prove that I could do it to myself. Like, mm. I just put, okay, cool, I can do this. I don't want to, one, I don't know as much as my nutritionist. My, my nutritionist has got like, like four degrees and is doing his PhD. Okay, it takes time to accumulate that level of yeah. knowledge. He mm. knows a lot of stuff that I don't. And it would be, you have to humble yourself and be like, you'd actually have to be like very arrogant and egotistical to turn around and say, oh, you know, I, you know, I know more than this person. So instead of that, I think, okay, cool. One, I'm, I'm getting a wicked nutrition plan. Yeah. Two, I'm learning off this guy at the same time. Mm. Um, three, I'm eliminating extra stress from my life that I just don't need to, need to have. 
And then, like you said, when it comes to writing your own program, how like objective can you really yeah, be? Yeah. Mm. And also, how much energy have you got to make the right decisions after you've written? How many programs have you got right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, like thirty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, obviously, I try individualize it, but yeah, like that sounded like one. Specifically for it. Let's go back to the. Yeah. I've broken my right arm. Yeah, mate, that'll be fine. Just go bench press bilateral. Fine. You got like your bilateral movements. Come on. Bilateral. I'm hanging off. He's there, just in the gym, just trying his best. Comes back with a rebroken. I'm like, mate, come on, what are you doing, man? It's the other one. Yeah, motivation, man. Soft. Just people look soft these days. Where's your Lamborghini, man? But yeah, no. For me, it's motivation, I think. And I think it also depends on what your goals are. Like, if if you're very serious about wanting to take it the next step, like you said, the stress that you could probably alleviate and the time that you could then put into whatever or have just more energy going into it or then having motivation, like you said, learning. I like how you said that. Um, But, you know, if you're just doing it for fun and or maybe you want to try out what you write. Do I actually write good programs? Or is everyone just yeah. telling me I write good programs, but I don't really. So I guess it really depends um, kind of, yeah, where you're at, what your what your goals are. Yeah. I'm, I go back and forth. Like for the longest time, I wrote my own plan. And now I'm at a point where like, oh, I don't have enough motivation to write my own plan and stick to it. I don't think it's motivation. I think that's like a, like a, uh, accountability is really big. Mm. But uh, like, uh, like how much are you doing at the moment? You're doing your PhD. What do you, do you coach as well? Like you, I don't don't coach. Just do this. Do, do the PhD do this, podcast. And then okay, you're coaching. You, you and then work you, on the side. Yeah, doing like yeah. Okay, so you're doing quite a lot. Like do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Like it's not even motivation. It's just like just be realistic with your time. Yeah. You know, like if you're gonna okay, I'm gonna sit down and do my program, or am I gonna mm. go spend X amount of time with my friends today after mm. I've just pulled like a sixty hour week or something? You know yeah. What I mean? It's like yeah. I'd rather just pay someone 170 pounds per month to just to just write my program. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's like. Yeah, it, it seems more logical for me. I think that's a big know. thing you can learn off it. Like once that program, that, go, cool. that program will never go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like why did you, you do that? Why did you do yeah. this? You know? And then you can keep it in the locker. You got those answers so that if yeah. you know you stop, like maybe after three months or four months, you stop like paying him. You've got them in the locker and you know the reasons why. Know the and, and an SNC coach, a good SNC coach, mate, they they want to make you better and also want to feed you knowledge. They love you know it. I, mean? I was just about to say that. Yeah, because they don't want to give you a program and then you go, oh, sweet cheers, and then not hear from you ever again. They they want to share the knowledge. They want to share. Like, I love it when guys ask me questions and they G-check me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Matt when loves they... the sound of his own voice. Any questions? No, Any they, questions? When they check me about some stuff that I've written, I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I did this because of that. And I, there's I'm just starting out, I've been checked one time and then like, I can't justify it and I'm like actually wait why have I done that you told and, what was that I think you said that before how good is that, yeah what how good is that that like you get like checked and like you, yeah. don't, you don't have the ego to say oh you know like some people yeah, that's like, true oh, like, when, when you get waffle back and they're like oh. yeah because I'm doing it like that and then you then they oh they've got an answer though. then it becomes bad you go well actually no you just said it wrong like a, a lot of these studies say you shouldn't be doing this and you're like oh sweet but you got to take that accountability you got that have that humility to understand Oh, what I'm this is my first year out from uni. I'm not going to be the best, you know. Mm. I'm not going to have the same level of knowledge as like Duncan French or someone who's been working at Quinn's for five mm. years. Exactly, it's not like, going to know every world record holder, yeah, mate. Yeah, 
bring that clip back again of me just bring getting rid of that back. Yeah. Um, What's up, everyone? We hope you enjoyed part one of our chat with Jake Smythe. Like we said, we are breaking this up into part one and part two. Next week, we're going to dive right back into the conversation. So make sure you tune in. But for now, share it if you liked it. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us if you haven't followed us yet on Instagram. And we will see you back here next week. We are the Real Sports Science Podcast. We're out.